Now I'm on. Good morning, Harmony Church. Uh, at least that much as usual. I always forget to turn on my microphone, so I'm feeling right at home. Here we are, broadcasting live from WHBC Virtual Television this morning. Glad that you've joined us. And uh, I know that a post went out this last week and uh, has attracted some other listeners, so I will try to orient you uh, a little bit to what we've been doing in a few minutes, but I have some other things I want to mention. If you did tune into that post, I was encouraging our people and anyone else who might hear it to keep our eyes set on God and uh, not fall into panic mode and recognize he is sovereign and good and he's working things out for his purposes. But if you did listen to that post, you may have heard a little bit of um, noise in the background that sounded like a harmonica. And that was uh, my worship leader, uh, Mike Hopper, trying to learn how to play the harmonica for that version of Amazing Grace. But he didn't learn it in time. Actually, I made that up, and he gave me permission to pick on him. It was my cell phone, which had been completely quiet all day until we started filming. Doesn't that figure? Absolutely. Well, it feels like we're experiencing almost what it would be like to be underground, persecuted Christians trying to connect. As long as the power grid and the internet is working, we can manage to do that and interact with each other. In this last week, uh, things have gone on a little bit, not completely as normal as we've emptied the building and tried to sterilize it. For those of you who don't know, we have a school attached to our church facility. Uh, in this last week, our food pantry people, I, I was going to put a little picture on the screen if I could, uh, just to show what they had done. Uh, we actually used their, uh, the side doors of our auditorium as a drive-through window, and they served 37 customers who were in need in this last week, which I think is great, considering all the drama that's going on and all the shutdown, we continue to do uh, the, good, the good deeds of Jesus for these people. And so that was a compliment going out to those people who made it happen. Also, um, just for those of you who are interested, the school really snapped to in this last week, organizing all the kids' uh, studies, their books, their necessities to be sent home with parents. They had to rotate people through the building to keep us uh, at an appropriate distance, taking everybody's temperature as we came in. And um, they took my temperature. I guess I was okay. And uh, we managed to get everything out. And uh, our teachers uh, really put themselves at work and are ready to do video conferencing or whatever is necessary in the weeks ahead. So my thanks and my hats off to uh, our school team, our food pantry team, and also our tech team and worship team this morning for doing a great job again and making this happen. We probably will have a few little glitches here and there, but bear with us as we're new to broadcasting. And uh, hopefully, I don't know how long this will have to go on, but it will work. Um, starting in March, on the 1st, there was one case of coronavirus in New York State. As of yesterday, 10,356, and we have been declared in New York a federal disaster area. So this is not something to take too lightly. Uh, we want to pray and continue to ask God to protect, especially our elderly and at-risk folks. We have a few people, I'm so grateful, have been 
well insulated in the hospitals and gone through surgery and are doing well. And we, uh, and I ask you as a church to continue to pray for them that uh, they are safely insulated from what is happening. It's the right thing to do, to uh, respond properly, to be careful not to pass on any germs to other people. Don't go out unless you absolutely have to. And if it's appropriate, and uh, when you do, take all the right precautions. We'll probably post a couple of humorous, uh, you know, comments during this coming week. I saw so many funny things in the paper, I'll have to share some of them with you. But I think, um, looking back historically, this will be called the Charmin virus disaster of 2020. Uh, as the big proof that we're in trouble was the purchasing of toilet paper. Don't really want to go into that today. In my post, I had mentioned while you have time down, take time to meditate, read the scripture, catch up on some good books or good uh, spiritual input. But also I said uh, maybe you'd like to look at some of uh, Pastor John's uh, movie recommendations. I have movie recommendations, some of which I can't recommend and others that I can. And uh, I'll have to dig that out and post it sometime during this week. Uh, because there are some really inspirational films out there that have become some of our family favorites. Just on a slightly humorous perspective note, not unlike what uh, our brother, um, uh, what's your name again, Mike, uh, read to us about focusing beyond where we're at right now. If you're aware of a little satirical um, newspaper called the Babylon Bee, The Babylon Bee said in their headline, God to ignore quarantine and continue being everywhere. (laughs) Heaven, this report comes from, the CDC now recommends for everyone to stay home and avoid going out as much as possible. Despite this, reports are that God is breaking quarantine and going absolutely everywhere. Hospitals, nursing homes, prison, wherever he is needed, God is going. He's reportedly visiting everyone and checking on everyone in this time of need and not using any amount of social distancing. God is said to be following the absolute best practices, though, and is at no risk of making people sick, but only making people better. We have absolutely no control over the guy, said CDC spokesman Jim Wells, which is extremely frustrating. We want to remind you, though, that you're not God, so please stay put in small groups. God is also reportedly trying to get people to stop hoarding toilet paper and instead put their treasures in heaven, treasures that don't include toilet paper. Enough said. So... We want to do that today. Part of why we're uh, gathering together is to give people encouragement and hope, maybe a little break, escape. Uh, That's why we have uh, things like reading and video and time with our families and walks, what have you, a little downtime to offload some of the pressure of what's going on. And that's what church was always designed to do, to bring people together, to look up instead of at what their circumstances might be. God is still at work, and we want to look up to him today. And so, uh, welcome to Harmony Ministries this morning. There will be some other podcasts. We're going to continue doing this in the weeks ahead. And so for those of you who are tuning in from outside of our church family, and I know there are some, 
I wanted to give you a little background of where we have been. On the screen is our sign for a series that we've been using, our background, Better Things, which comes out of the book of Hebrews. We've been preaching through Hebrews. If you feel like today at the end of the sermon, boy, I'd like to know what else he said about Hebrews, you can look at our podcast on our website and you can at least get the, the oral sound and uh, listen to that and uh, catch up on anything you might be interested At this point, we've moved our way all the way through Hebrews from chapter 1 to chapter 6, and that's where we're picking up today. And just a quick, quick survey that this book, we understand, was written. We don't know who the author is exactly. I have suspicions, but won't impose that on anyone. We do know that it was a Jewish-oriented congregation. They came from that kind of background. And we also know by what's inside as well as in the, inside the book of Hebrews, as well as what we find in the book of, uh, book of Acts, that very likely it's a Roman community of well-trained Jewish teachers, uh, seminary students perhaps, who missed the first phase of Christianity's persecution in the Roman Empire, and now, as believers in Yeshua HaMashiach, their Messiah, having been converted to faith in him, uh, they are concerned about maybe backing off in terms of their public image so that they don't get sucked in to the difficulties that Christians were experiencing under the cruel hand of Rome. So that gives you a little bit of a context and uh, will help you understand when you read even uh, Hebrews on your own, some of the references to standing firm and not falling backwards. And today we're looking at the text that we have come to for several weeks, chapter 6 of the book of Hebrews, verses 4 through 6. Just going to tell you straight up, that it is a very troublesome, difficult portion of Scripture. It's a difficult text. It has caused um, lots of drama in people's thinking. And uh, so today, as I was thinking about an appropriate title, just before I read the text, and it will be on your screen, I titled my sermon today, Getting Good Marks. And the reason I did was twofold. One, I was thinking about all those students trying to get their homework home during this time of isolation because we all going to school want to get good marks. But as we looked at our text previously, I didn't get to this in my sermon last time, one of the things that came out of this passage is the marks or the good marks of being a Christian, the marks of a Christian. And we'll mention that there's a book by that name in a few moments. But let me unpack the text. Let's look at this one that has been distressful for people over the years because it's kind of hard to understand, and you'll see why as I read it. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. 
Now, actually, in the Greek, it starts with, it's impossible for those who are these to renew them to repentance. You can see why people would struggle. How many uh, fears people would fear. What if I'm like, oh, that guy, what was his name? I think Peter, one of Jesus' friends, who, when put on the spot, copped out. Is there no hope for a person like that? People struggle with that. Who are these people who have fallen away? How have they encountered this awful fate? And what does that awful fate actually mean? It's scary. So we want to unpack the meaning, and we'll do a little more next week to look at these phrases like crucifying the Son of God afresh, putting him to open shame, impossible to renew to repentance. That we will wait Today, I want to simply look at those marks of the Christian. Could it be that they're not really Christians? They're just kind of those people that hang out with others. They come to church. They put a little money in the plate once in a while. They talk like Christians. Maybe they read the daily bread. We don't know. But they've never really put their trust in Jesus. Could it be a person like that? Some authors really hope so because it's so scary. seems to be. By the way, stuff like that can happen. Could a person, think of the words in this, they have tasted the powers of the age to come. Could a person actually not really be a believer? Well, yeah, you can taste the powers of the age to come and not. I have a little story. I'm going to put a portion of scripture up in just a second, but let me set the story up. Jesus was ministering. He was walking along the border of Samaria and Galilee. And, and as he went into towns, he's preaching the gospel as he did. For those of you who don't remember, his very first sermon was, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The power of the kingdom is right near you, whether you realize it or not. And in one town, as he moved along, there were ten men stricken with leprosy. And they knew the rules back then. You stay away from other people. It's kind of like what we're living in right now. You talk to each other at a distance. You don't even elbow bump. None of that. And they see Jesus, and they get wind of who he is, and they start crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. Please help us. You can read it for yourself. But they're asking for him to heal them. And Jesus tells them, Okay, let's do what the Bible says. If you have leprosy, you should go see the priest and do whatever he tells you in terms of an offering, and if you're heard by God, you'll be healed. On the way, the ten men, listen, they obey, they're on their way, and as they're going, one of them must have looked at the other one and said, your leprosy's gone. And all of a sudden, they realized they had been healed, and then we read this, because one comes back. And here's what it says. Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed, but the nine? Where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Because the scripture will tell you if you look it up, he was a Samaritan. He was one of those cult guys, a little off to the side, not a really solid follower of Yahweh. And yet, the lights came on for him, and he came back to worship Jesus and give thanks, I would suspect he probably put his faith in the Lord Jesus. Apparently, there were nine others. Maybe not so much. You know, we tend to approach the Scripture simplistically. We see a miracle. We see a healing in the Scripture. And we assume that everybody involved 
pledge their allegiance to Jesus. Not so. And I've seen people miraculously liberated from things and still not give their heart over to follow him. It's not an automatic. It could mean in this text that they were people who tested, tasted the powers of the age to come but didn't sign up. It's possible. I don't think that's what it's talking about, though. I'll show you why as we move forward in the portion here. Part one of my message today is the good marks of the Christian. I want to distinguish, while we're on that screen, that there's a difference between that statement and the title of a book called The Mark of the Christian. The Mark of the Christian was written by Dr. Francis Schaeffer, great godly apologist and wise uh, preacher who uh, actually was the brainchild behind Covenant Seminary where I earned one of my degrees. And um, just a quality uh, uh, philosopher and preacher and would write books to try to draw those who have struggles and struggle with unbelief and questions, help them move toward faith. And his book is about the mark of the Christian, meaning... I think some of you know the song. They will know we are Christians by our love, right? He said this, love and the unity it attests to is the mark Christ gave Christians to wear in the world. Only with this mark may the world know that Christians are marked or indeed Christians and that Jesus was sent by the Father, that God is really acting in the world through his people. Christians have not always been presented in an inviting picture to the world. Too often we fail to show the beauty of authentic Christian love. The blurb of this book talks about that. And the world has disregarded Christianity as a result. And his appeal is to live out what Jesus said would be the mark of the Christian. That's later. That's under the second part, which is extra credit. Let's look at the marks of the Christian so we pass our test, right? Part one. Good marks of the Christian. Here's what it is. It comes right out of the portion that we just read, and we're just going to go right through the list. The first mark is that they were enlightened. They were enlightened. Here's the thing. The problem in the world is not the coronavirus. That is a problem. The problem is not just wars and destructive behavior and drug addictions, and man's inhumanity to man, the problem of all of those things are rooted in this issue that we don't see left to ourselves called sin. My uh, assembly here knows that uh, I have told my story many times that when I was a... uh, a college student, I was lost in the world and I was uh, dabbling in the drug culture. And one day I heard this man, you may have heard of him, Billy Graham, he's gone to be with the Lord. He was on television and one night the lights came on. That's the only way I can describe it. The lights came on and I realized he was speaking truth to me. This is what enlightened means seeing the truth, being awakened. I have a picture I want to put on the screen. This is from a famous movie. There was a remake. This one's back in the 60s. That's Anne Bancroft and Patty Duke starring in The Miracle Worker. Phenomenal film. 
based on the true story of Helen Keller and uh, Ann Sullivan working to help this deaf and dumb girl who was allowed to almost live like an animal in her family's home until Ann Sullivan began to work with her. And I believe this might be the scene. I'm not sure I haven't seen it in ages. But it's a phenomenal, powerful moment when Patty Duke, who is uh, Helen Keller, suddenly realizes that Anne is communicating with her somehow by forming letters in her hand. The light starts to come on, and Helen Keller gets all excited. And it would move you to tears to see that experience of enlightenment. Suddenly, she could communicate. She could understand what another person was saying to her and vice versa. Powerful, powerful moment in a person's life when they get it. I want to show you a, uh, a, a little chart that came out of a book written by Richard Lovelace uh, called um, Evangelical Theology of Renewal. And um, he's speaking about renewal or revival. I think we have a slide there, if I can put that up. And basically what it's talking about, I, I copied it wrong. It's not preconditions of revival. It's actually in the book, preconditions of renewal. But it means the same thing. A preparation for the gospel. When God is bringing people into his family, here's what has to happen. There's a moment where the lights come on where I begin to be aware of the holiness of God or I begin to be aware of the depth of sin. Maybe both, maybe just one first, but eventually I see it all. First, I become aware of his holiness, that he is just, that I'm out of whack with his righteousness. I sense his love, that he actually cares about me. That becomes a reality. Or I become aware of the depth of sin. Sometimes, as in my case, I realized right away I was on the wrong track. And most of us know that deep down inside. And then I look around, I see the way our community or the world is functioning, and I recognize that something is seriously wrong. That is the beginning. That doesn't make us a Christian. That means the lights are coming on. I could have the light come on and resist, but that's the precondition for renewal in an individual's life. We just sang about this a couple of moments ago. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? Save the wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And the next verse adds to that concept. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. I suddenly see the justice of God. I suddenly realize he loves me in spite of my brokenness. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and then what comes? "'Grace, my fears relieve.'" When I get enlightened and enter into the family of God, as opposed to those, and I have a verse uh, in your handout. Some of you may have printed them out at home, but I will send you a filled-out one this coming week, just in case. And if there's not enough information on it, email me. I'll put that up on the screen at the end, and I'll answer it for you. But... Here's what it says in 2 Corinthians 4.4. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they may not see, that they may not be enlightened 
They may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I've moved out of darkness into the light, and that's why I said our problem today is ultimately the sin issue that breaks our connection with the source of life itself. Life in every way. Emotional life, physical life, spiritual life comes from our maker God. It's sin that has broken that. If we remain in the dark, we miss out on what God had for us. Eternity, but also what Jesus called abundant life in the here and now. Well, that's part one. Part one, the good marks of the Christian. Number one, we are enlightened. They are enlightened people. Number two, that doesn't mean we know everything. I just want to point that out. Anybody feeling a little bit cocky this morning? We don't know everything. But we've been enlightened to see God as he is and we as we are needing his grace desperately. Secondly, they have tasted of the heavenly gift. The lights have come on and they have responded. It's very simple. They have entered into this gift of salvation. Let's talk about this word. It comes out three times in this difficult text. They have tasted, tasted. Um, I suppose when you come into our assembly, when we're allowed to meet again, there'll be coffee in the foyer. You can come in and taste the coffee, depending on how good it is, which I hear mostly it's good. Yeah, I'm getting a thumbs up. Uh, We can savor it. Right? Anybody get a... Well, I'm going to confess. I, I, I'm, I'm the uh, soft, weenie version of a coffee fan. I like the Dunkin' Donuts sweet thing. Give me cream and sugar, baby. Woo, it's like candy. And when I'm really in the mood for one and I get it, I get that yummy thing in my mouth and I just savor it for a minute, you know? It's really good. I'm making everybody who's in the room want to leave and get coffee. Listen, the word test me, taste means to not only physically, to partake of, to enjoy. In the Latin, the word is gusto, gusto, huh? Hey, gusto. Really enjoy. You know, what, you know what I mean? Enjoy it. Really enjoy. It's talking about experiencing. Please catch what I'm saying. These marks of the, of the Christian are, they're enlightened and they have experienced, they've tasted the work of God in their life. Ex- they've savored it. The new birth, when I become a believer, and by the way, where it says the heavenly gift, just to be clear, it's talking about Jesus. You remember, uh, God, there's a famous verse, uh, let's see, God so loved the that he gave. It's a gift. He is the gift. In fact, I don't have time today, but there's a parallel between the Old Testament stories which are so fitting for the study in Hebrews because their orientation is Old Testament and the story of Jesus. Do you remember when the children of Israel were wandering around in the desert? We're going to starve to death. And God says, I'm going to take care of you. Get up in the morning. See what you find on the ground. Anybody remember? All the children of Israel looked at this white stuff on the ground. They said, what is it? God said, try it. You'll like it. He said, but what is it? By the way, that's not a joke. Mana means what is. What is it? 
And they tasted it. Oh, it tastes like coriander flakes. That's pretty good, you know, until they got bored with it. But that's another subject. The point is, God fed them with the gift from heaven. And Jesus later says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. No mistake. The heavenly gift is Jesus. My point is this. I hope you understand this. If you've got Jesus, you get the whole package. The heavenly gift includes the whole package that comes with salvation. Father, Son, and Spirit. Redemption, forgiveness, eternity, resurrection. It's all yours in the heavenly gift. Whole package is yours. Don't you think that's good for us in this present distress that we meditate We relish the bread that came down from heaven, our Savior Jesus, who's rescued us. After a nasty list of sins, the Apostle Paul mentions this about us who are in Christ. There's a section in 1 Corinthians 6.11, names all these sins, and then he says, such were some of you. Such were some of you. Some, some sins worse than others, we acknowledge that by, by uh, social standards. But before God, we're all in trouble. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. That means declared righteous, even though you know better. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God, if you're in Christ, all of that has become yours. You own it. It's all printed on you permanently for eternity. Enlightened, savored the heavenly gift, tasted it. Partakers of the Holy Spirit. That's the next one. They were partakers of the Holy Spirit. Interesting word. Usually when we talk about the Holy Spirit and being in Christ and the body of Christ, which we're all part of, we use the word, and you're going to recognize it, some churches are named by this, koinonia, which is to have in common. We have a share. This says, this. it's a synonym, it's one of those, it's one of those words. It's a synonym, kind of, to share in or partake in the Holy Spirit, but it's a different word. In the Greek, it's metatsuks, something like that. And here's what it means. An associate, a partner in business, a companion. Isn't that interesting? When Jesus said, if I go away, it's to your advantage. Why? I'm going to send a helper like me. He's never going to leave you. This is going to work out better for you, believe me. And he was right. A companion. Isn't it interesting? A word used for the Holy Spirit many times is paraclete, the coming alongside person. The Holy Spirit is called our paraclete. It can be interpreted as a lawyer, someone who goes with you when you're up against it. A companion is with you. One of the further things that Loveless puts in his book about what's happened after enlightenment is that four things become stark raving reality for the Christian. Let me Uh, Let me just uh, read them quickly to you. It will help you flesh this out. One, justification, part of the package. I'm accepted. Isn't it? Can I, I'm I'm backtracking now, little sidebar. 
Isn't it great when you become a Christian and you know you're in? You know you're in the family. It's not because you're better than other people. This isn't Ramsey Lewis, I'm in the in crowd. It's not that. It's that I'm in because of the grace of God. One, I'm justified, I'm accepted. Two, I'm sanctified. I have been freed from the power of sin in my life if I choose to exercise that, and I can. Number three, I have the indwelling spirit in Christ, which means, here's his statement, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. There's one other. We won't take time yet. Authority and spiritual conflict. I have authority over my adversary, the devil. Those are my birthright. When I am in Christ, I get the whole package, and I am a partaker. I'm a companion, and the Spirit is a companion to me. He comes alongside of me. We're recognizing these verses out of Romans chapter 8. There's several. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's part of the package. We're not alone. We just sang a song, Good, Good Father. It's who you are and who I am and that he speaks into my life, right? So love, so undeniable, so beyond my understanding. Those words are talking about a reality for the Christian. I hope you've experienced it. I, um, I don't like to listen to too many really good preachers because I just get depressed, but uh, I think maybe I'll learn to preach one day. Uh, but I'm listening to that wonderful brother who preaches the gospel and has been used by God down in New York City, Tim Keller, of Redeemer Presbyterian. Now get this, Presbyterian Church, you know, they're pretty formal. And I was listening to him teaching on an experience, which, by the way, really applies to our immediate context. He said, sometimes it's good just to meditate on what God let Jesus go through to rescue us. And he was in that zone, and he said, I had this experience where the love of God just flooded over me existentially. I could sense it, a Presbyterian. Did you hear me? The point is, this is part of our birthright. It's part of our birthright. The love of God sensing it, bringing maybe conviction, tweaking my life, raising up faith in me, giving me victory over a sin. I have found that when I get convicted of something wrong, right behind that, rather than condemnation, the Holy Spirit is showing me, I love you so much, that's why I won't let you stay parked there. I'm going to take a risk here. I was recently talking to one of my own children and needed to speak life to them and say, this is how well you're doing and how valued you are, and they started to weep. Has the Holy Spirit ever spoken to you? Has the Father spoken to you to where you go? Oh, thank you that you love me that much. Thank you that that's how you see me, because that's how he sees us, because we're in Christ. Partakers, partners with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm a notes guy, so I forgot what I've said so far. Enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, which is Jesus, partakers of the Holy Spirit. There's two more left. One, they have tasted, same word, 
tasted again, savored the good word, the good word of God. Tasted the good word of God. Those of us who've been Christians a while and studied Bible, been in Bible studies, whatever, you probably know that the word for the word of God is usually logos, from which we get theology and all of those other terms, right? It's the word, it's the doctrine, it's the teaching, whatever it might be. There's a synonym, that, and all synonyms have nuances, and the nuance is a little different for this word because it's not logos, it's rhema. It's that word that speaks something specifically into a life. I did a paraphrase of that portion of our text. I'd like to read it to you just to expand it. It is, they have tasted the good and remarkable utterance, the pronouncement that is a powerful sermon called the gospel, here's the best part, which went right into your heart. Have you ever had that happen? If you're a Christian, I know you have. The Holy Spirit takes that text or passage, you're doing your devotions, and he hijacks you all of a sudden and goes, Zingo, I'm talking to you. <laughs> I'm having a good time. I don't know how you folks out there in the Etherland are doing, but we're having fun here. Let me do it again. They have tasted, we have tasted that good and remarkable, specific, if you will, utterance the pronouncement of the powerful sermon called the gospel, it's entered into your life. It went right into your heart. It spoke to you. It's tangible. Taste and see. Let me put that verse up while we're at it because that's what it says in the scripture, right? We know this psalm. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Just leave that up there for a second. Thanks, Ryan. Um, taste and see. That the Lord is good. I was thinking about it. The songs that we were singing, the old classic song, Jesus, the very thought of you, attributed to uh, Bernard of Clairvaux, talks about the hope of every contrite heart, the joy of all the meek. To those who fall, how kind thou art, how good to those who seek. And here's the verse that talks about tasting. But what to those who find? Ah, this, no tongue nor pen can show the love of Jesus, what it is, none but his loved ones know. The spirit witnessing with your spirit. That's what we need when we're in times like this. And this is mild compared to what could be happening. That the witness of the spirit, that I belong to him, that you are with me, that you are working all things together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose and that he will strengthen me. He will give me nothing as we heard this morning in worship, nothing that's beyond my ability to stand in the power of his spirit. Not on my own, but by his help. We've tasted the good word that came into our hearts. There's one last taste. Number five tasted the powers of the age to come. I referenced that a little bit earlier in the message, uh, that it could be that people have experienced something even miraculous and not necessarily given their lives to Jesus. But now put this together. We've got all these things, all of these qualities, the good marks of the Christian, the enlightenment, 
the tasting, the heavenly gift, which is Jesus himself. You've gotten the whole package. Partakers in the Holy Spirit, a sharer, a companion with the Holy Spirit. Tasting the good word as I've trusted God in the gospel and had his spirit feed me from his word. And now, tasting the powers of the age to come. See, the description of, um, in fact, I've heard it described numerous times, of Jesus ministering on the earth when he's walking around and when his kingdom people are ministering on the earth and he shows up in powerful ways, it doesn't always have to be miraculous, but sometimes it is. Being transformed, uh, you've probably talked to people, you, you, you interact with people who've been saved from radically terrible backgrounds and you go, that's miraculous. Well, technically it's not miraculous. It is regeneration and it comes from heaven. Miracles are when the laws of nature are suspended, as when a person with leprosy is instantly cleansed. Or a demon manifests in this world and somebody casts it out on the authority of the name of Jesus, which, by the way, still happens. Seen it many times. When that happens, the powers of the realm that is coming Those powers are dropping into our experience right now. Do you understand? The the age to come is already here. I don't mean here, here. Here. It's another dimension where God dwells. Time is irrelevant. He drops his power and his visitations here and there. When Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, all of a sudden, two famous saints show up, Moses and Elijah. That's not normal. Hasn't happened to me in the grocery store yet. Probably not to you either. Got everybody's attention. That is a visitation from the realm to come in the here and now. Here's some proof of it. Jesus is up against people constantly telling him, oh, you're doing all your miracles in the power of the enemy and you're just a troublemaker and blah, blah, blah. That's what he had to deal with. You know, it's always the religion. Well, I'll watch it. Here it is, Luke chapter 11, verse 20. But he had just rebuked the Pharisees for accusing him by saying, if, if that's true, if Satan can cast out, say, who are your children who do exorcisms? Whose power are they using? But you better listen up. If I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. One of those drop-ins, one of those invasions has just happened. What are you going to do about it? Same thing when Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's right there. We just don't have the right eyeglasses to see it. I used to preach that a lot. You know, in the Mormon church, they believe that uh, the founder, Joseph Smith, found special tablets that had secret writing and they needed special magical glasses. And I'm not trying to make fun, I'm just saying this is what they teach, that when he put them on, he was enabled to translate the sacred texts. I've often thought that would be awesome if we could get those, and especially if Harmony could sell them uniquely, we would make a bundle. But anyway, if we could get glasses that mystically 
opened up the unseen world right now in this room. I would see the powers of darkness in that corner, God's angels in that corner, the working of the spirit. It would, I might be uh, in need of resuscitation. But there were times that it drops in in the here and now. And by the way, don't anybody um, fall for the lie that God doesn't ever do any of that anymore. That would be a denial of the history of the church. Every time there's been revivals and advancements of the kingdom, he will manifest himself in ways that glorify himself and testify to us that the powers of the age to come are visiting us. In fact, isn't it cool when that happens? Every time I can think back on seeing a miraculous healing or a deliverance in a person's life, it encourages my inner man because I know the powers of the age to come are going to be way better when I experience that. If I thought that was cool, woohoo! Some of us are like, yeah, remember my little gag from um, Gary Larson, the far side, you know, the guy sitting on a on a cloud in heaven with his wings and horn-rimmed glasses and saying, I wish I'd brought a magazine. That is the wrong view of the powers of the age to come. The wrong view. If what the psalmist says, at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, think about it. God invented pleasure. Did you know that? It's not Satan. Satan hijacked it. Sin has hijacked and ruined it. Pleasure was invented by God. If there are pleasures at his right hand, they're better than any pleasure you've experienced here and now. And I have to remind myself of that so I don't get stuck here. Pleasures forevermore. The powers of the age to come. They've experienced it. Even if you haven't been part of something miraculous Churches and missionaries and whoever have stories that witness to us so we know that there's a taste of that among us. It speaks life to us. I know brothers on the mission field have seen remarkable things. I'm not talking about crazy people. I'm talking about solid evangelical preachers who have seen resuscitation, whatever it might happen to be. The resurrection is one of those powers of the age to come that gives us hope. That something amazing is in store for us. Anyway, I'm preaching a little. I better stop. No, I'm not going to stop. There's evidence of it, and it's a witness to the ultimate reality of the kingdom and the age to come that is ours because we are in Christ Jesus. We have received the gift, the whole package. Well, I'm down to extra credit. The second part. Now, I already gave you a hint that part of the extra credit is being loving. (laughs) Can I just say, I think we know this. When people were struggling with Jesus and dialoguing with him and trying to get their mental hands around what he was saying, come on, net it down for us, Jesus. Tell us what the fundamentals are. And he would ask people, well, what do you think it says? What, What do you think God revealed in his word? We know it. He would sum it up. People would come, little uh, uh, young men that had been trained in synagogue and they knew what the Bible said and they would come and say, well, I think this is it. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And when they gave that answer, Jesus would say, well done. You're not far from the kingdom at all. You're right on the doorstep. 
Love the Lord your God and your neighbor, the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Next time, I will unpack what does that mean about crucifying yourself, uh, crucifying the Son of God again, or the ground is prepared for burning, or the parallels with the Old Testament. I don't have time for that today. I'm just whetting your appetite and giving you a little hint. When you look at all those five marks, they've got to be born-again Christians. And most commentators land there. Rightfully so. There's just too much there for it to be someone who was playing a game. They've tasted it and experienced it. And if they have, they're called to extra credit. You know, you don't earn your favor with God. He's provided that for you in Jesus. Now, because he has loved you and saved you, we love to please him. And that, he, it's hard to believe, but he actually gives us ever extra credit for that. We get rewards for serving him. Isn't that cool? It's really something. But these people in the book of Hebrews, remember what I said. They are facing persecution. And all through the book, the underlying rumbling is don't cop out. Yes, Somebody may put you up against the wall and say, are you willing to deny Jesus or not? There's the acid test. What are you going to do with it? And by the way, stumbling is one thing. I already referenced Peter earlier on. So I'm giving you a little insight that this um, falling away that cannot be restored to repentance is a much more severe sin than just being a weenie on an occasion. Okay? Gives us all hope, right? Gives us hope. But it was an exhortation for martyrdom. Are you willing to suffer that for the name of Jesus? And back then, it was actually happening. One of the good commentators on this uh, whole book of Hebrews is William Lane. He actually records the entire story, uh, in brief, of Polycarp, a great Christian bishop who was burned at, or was uh, uh, martyred for his faith. I'll just read you the end, the postscript, if you will, to help you understand that if we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, that's number one, and that's what he's calling us to. And by the way, I know it's not a very popular subject, and I know people kind of think, oh, it's very remote that this could ever happen in America. I'm not buying. You never know. With the political climate as it is and political correctness ruling as it does, anything could happen. Where are you going to park? I think it's healthy for us to ask ourselves, where am I at? What if that ever happened? I'm not talking about self-defense, by the way. Some of us know that I am involved teaching karate. I, I believe in self-defense. I don't believe in letting people abuse you. But what if it came down to will you deny his name or not? Only you can answer that and wrestle it through. Polycarp remembered for having listened to the voice of God. If you read the portion just before chapter 6, it's talking about people who have their senses trained to discern between good and evil. And that's what Lane is referencing. 
Polycarp is remembered for having listened to the voice of God. He fashioned his entire life out of the habit of obeying him. By the time the ultimate crisis came, by the way, he was, I think, in his 90s. Can you imagine? His moral faculty had been disciplined by constant practice to discriminate between ultimate good and evil. So, his answer to the Romans when they said, please, save yourself. You old guy, we, we like you. We don't want to put you to death. This is just, you know, crass. And his response was, for 86 years I have been his servant and he's never wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Whew. Lane goes on. To have accepted release under the conditions offered to him, which was to deny Christ, would have been to morally been morally evil because it would have confirmed a pagan world in its blatant unbelief. It would have been like crucifying the Son of God again because it would mean consenting with those who nailed Jesus to the cross. Are you getting the implication there? Kind of gives you a little insight into this difficult text. It would have signified a willingness to hold Christ up to public contempt. Polycarp refused such an unacceptable release. Well, things like that have been preserved for us to inspire us, no question about it, to strengthen our inner man. And I, can I just give you some encouragement? If those five things that I talked about are in your life, you should be praising God. And if they are, you can also be assured that should you be called to such a thing, whether natural death or martyrdom, dying grace will be given to you if you choose to please him. Dying grace will be given to us. By the way, if you're listening in and you're not sure, you're not sure that those five marks of the Christian are in your life, we would be thrilled to interact with you. My, my uh, email is on the screen. Write that down. You can ask me questions. We'll get information to you to help you on your journey to be assured that you have the good marks that are better than passing grades, the good marks of the Christian. But now let me finish on extra credit. The first half was loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, so that even if it meant martyrdom, the book of Hebrews is challenging those believers to stand firm. But in our present crisis, most of us are not facing martyrdom. We're facing maybe a few aggravating neighbors or something like that, but it's hardly a crisis, really, first world problems. Caring about others, modeling kindness, the mark of the Christian that Francis Schaeffer was talking about, Agape love, putting another's need before my own, being obedient to the voice of the Spirit. How can I extend to others grace, love, the need that they have right now in the circumstances that we're in? This uh, post that we put out last week, just encouraging everybody to look at God and recognize he's sovereign, he's got this, keep your shirt on. I know it's dangerous for some, not making light of it, and you pray for those people who are at risk, please, and we will in a minute. But just that word that went out, it was amazing how much feedback I got. Some people way up in Broome County and other places, 
that they needed a calm, trusted word from the Lord to calm their hearts. Don't you think there's other people out there that need a word of calmness today? I was walking through the Hannaford looking for at least something we could eat. Half the shelves empty, and there was a woman in the aisle. She said, I was crying earlier and just almost borderline hysterical. These are opportune days to speak life. You know what? We have a Savior that we rest in. We're not stupid. We're not called to be foolish or do risky behaviors. Not at all. But we certainly have a Savior that brings the peace that surpasses comprehension. We can pass it along. So speaking life is some of what we can certainly do. We'll check in with you during the week uh, with a couple of humorous things and other encouragements, answering any other questions. Right now, what I want to do is close in prayer. At this point, the plan is, see you here next week, whoever you are who might show up. I'll see you here. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, protect your people. Put your angels around them. We believe it. Right out of this book of Hebrews, it tells us, are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be the heirs of salvation? And that's us, the heirs of salvation, the ones with the marks of the Christian. I pray for those who have been listening and something has tweaked their inner person. They think, I'm not sure about that, that they would not just turn off the TV and then go play cards or something else, but that they would think about it and ask questions pursue you because, Lord, you are pursuing them whether they realize it or not. And, Lord, for our people in our Harmony family and other friends that are out in extended turf, we pray for the peace of God. We pray for assurance. We pray for boldness. We pray for confidence. We pray for angelic protection and keep those of our people who have been through hospitalization, surgeries, or sickness God, put your protection over them. Do not allow this crisis to touch them. We'll thank you for helping us. Fill us with your grace. We ask in the name of Jesus. And if you're out there, all of God's people can say amen. Farewell. <laughs>